0: The Lord comes into our life, one of the things that He does is He takes us on a journey from where we are to where we need to be. Uh, The Lord loves us exactly where we are, but He loves us too much to allow us to stay there. And so when He finds us, He finds us in a very self-centered state where all we're concerned about is what our needs are. And He takes us on this journey where we move from that self-centeredness to an other-centeredness. And one of the ways that we're able to make that journey is that he invites us on the way to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and to give him our burdens so that in the process we are set free to pick up the burdens of others. We're able to do that because he promises us that he'll meet all of our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Now, one of the problems that comes as we're on that journey is sometimes we get stuck, and we get stuck at the point of forgiving others we're doing pretty good until someone offends us or something somebody steals something from us or they hurt us or even worse sometimes they hurt someone we love and we get distracted from that journey we get pulled off of that path because part of the problem is he he, he we begin to think about our needs again and not trust god to meet those needs the other problem is the very people That he's asking us to be centered on and to care as much about their needs as our needs are some of those people who have actually hurt us that we are called on to forgive now uh one of the things that happens when you've been somewhere for 35 years is that you are reading the same scriptures over and over and sometimes they they don't have the impact that they need to have and so i thought we'd look at a passage on forgiveness today But try to look at it through a new lens. It's found in Matthew the 18th chapter, beginning there about verse 21, where Jesus talks about forgiveness. In order to maybe hear the story that Jesus told uh, with fresh ears, let's look at the story through the lens of a child.
1: One day, Peter was walking and he saw Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, How many times do we have to forgive? A little? No. A trillion and twenty? Whoa, that's a lot. I know that is. Then Jesus said, I need to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a king, and he said you had to pay me lots and lots and lots of money. Now give me it. I don't have any. Then you must send your, your whole family out to slavery and give me the money that you can owe me. No, no, please, 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 please. Mm. I'll do anything and the master said, "Okay, I would forgive I will forgive you." And then the servant said, "Thank you. You're the best king ever." And he went jumping up and jumping up and down, and then he when he went in outside, he saw somebody who owed him a little bit of money. He grabbed him by the neck and and Shaked him around and said, you will owe me all that money that you that you owe me. Stop joking. Me. <laughs> then the mean old man told the little guy to pay him. You will pay me a $1,020 or else you will be thrown in jail. Then he said, please, please, please forgive me. Now oh, give me all the money. Two pennies is not that much at all. Then after the servant said, please let me go, he said, no, I'm gonna put you in jail so you can owe all the money you owe me. And then so he put him in jail. And then the servants or then the servants heard, they were, they were surprised. They went to their king and they said what happened. And the king ordered for the For that slave, for that servant to come back, and he said, "Didn't I give you mercy?" And this um, slave said, "Yes." And so he said, "Well, you didn't give other people mercy, so so you're in big trouble. So you're going in jail." (sighs) Then the king said, "When, if I forgive you, why don't you forgive the other people?" Then Jesus said. If you don't forgive your brother and sisters, God won't be happy. Since he forgives you, you should forgive other people.
0: Got got most of it right. The numbers got a little skewed there. In the original story that Jesus told, the king called a servant in, and he forgave him a $10 million debt. And then that servant went out and found a fellow servant who owed him $18 and refused to forgive him. Now, I think we get stuck uh, in this thing of forgiveness because many times we have a misunderstanding about what forgiveness really is. Now, forgiving is hard enough without trying to add some of the baggage that we bring to our concept of forgiveness. So let's begin today as we look at this story to talk about what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiving is not a suspension of justice. Somebody comes and they rob your home, it, it really is okay to call the police and it's okay to testify against that person in court and for that person to serve time for stealing from you. And you, all that can happen, justice can take place and you can still forgive the person. And a lot of times we get confused about that because we, we're confused about God's plan for our response in a corporate sense to evil versus God's plan for us to respond as individuals. When you have time someday, turn to Romans, the 13th chapter. And in Romans, the 13th chapter, what you find is you find, it says that we're to submit ourselves to the authorities because the authorities are actually set up by God. In verse 3 of that chapter, it says this, "'For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. "'Do you want to have no fear of authority? "'Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same.'" But it, the authorities, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. See, God has set up a corporate response to evil, and that is that he allows the authority of the time to bear his sword and to actually punish those who need to be punished, That's why sometimes we get a little confused as believers when uh, maybe our nation goes to war and we say, well, as Christians, we really can't support that because the Bible says thou shall not kill. Well, what the Bible says is thou shall not murder. The, The corporate response to evil is for there to be a sword in the hand of the authorities so that the authorities can protect the innocent and the helpless. And that's not to say that all... Wars are just wars, but that allows for the theology of a just war. It allows for the theology of justice in a society. And in fact, it is because God has set up a plan for a corporate response to evil that sets us free for not feeling that we have to take vengeance into our own hands. So, first of all, forgiving others is not a suspension of justice. Second of all, forgiving is not enabling. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 44, it says that we're to love our enemies. But to love our enemies is not to allow an evil person always to have their way. In fact, that could be the worst thing that we would do for someone or to enable them. It certainly doesn't mean that we allow them to harm us or to harm the innocent. And so forgiving someone is not enabling their evil behavior. Number three, forgiving is not synonymous to trusting to forgive someone is unconditional. In fact, you can even forgive someone who's not repenting, someone who's not sorry for what they're doing. You can choose to do that. That's what Jesus did as he hung on the cross as he looked down at the soldiers who were gambling for his clothes. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And, and they weren't repenting of that at that time, and yet it was a one-way type of forgiveness. But the truth is, is that trusting is a different issue. And the fact that someone has... Uh, uh, offended you someone has had offense against you it means that you can choose to forgive them but still build up necessary or ne- necessary barriers boundaries around your life back in the old days in the early days of our church before we had a great counseling center I would find myself in a, in a marital counseling situation and there would be uh, a couple there and and there would be one couple who was guilty of infidelity and in the process of that the other Uh, spouse would come to the point where they chose they made a choice to forgive and to give a second chance to the perpetrator and and many times that person uh, they would begin to hear about the restrictions uh, on the relationship and and the path that they had to take toward reconciliation and they would be confused they said wait a minute I thought you forgave me and what I had to explain in that situation is forgiving someone is not the same thing as trusting someone and the best course of action when someone has been untrustworthy is not to trust them. To forgive them allows that person to rebuild trust, to make deposits in the trust bank. But that's a long, long journey. And I, I'd have to turn to someone saying, you know, if they do forgive you, if they didn't forgive you, you wouldn't be sitting here, and we wouldn't be talking about your future. They did forgive you, or you might not even be alive today. All right. But to forgive is not the same thing as to trust. And forgiveness opens the door to a potential of trust, but it is not the same thing as trust. Forgiving is also not reconciliation. In Romans, the 12th chapter, in verse 18, it says, As far as as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men that says that it is not possible to live at peace with some people. But it's saying, let your part be ready. As far as it's possible with you, present the opportunity to live at peace. But there are times when people do not take the path of reconciliation. And you can forgive them, but you can't live with them. You can forgive them, but you can't do business with them. You can forgive them them but you can't be in the same room with them and it's not because you harbor resentment it's because they're not willing to participate in that exchange and so to forgive someone is not the same as reconciliation And I think a lot of times because we equate the two we eliminate forgiveness from our possibilities because we can't see ourselves being reconciled with someone who will not respect those healthy boundaries forgiving is also finally not a feeling A lot of times what happens is we will attempt to obey God. We will make a choice to forgive someone. And then that person will come into our presence and we will have all these bad feelings. And we think, well, I guess I didn't forgive them. No, no, no. You've been through an emotional car wreck. And you're going to limp and you're going to be bruised for a long, long time. And there may be seasons that come and you think you're completely over it. And those feelings will wash over you again that doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. It means that you have some side effects to the original offense. Somebody once said, forgive and forget. Maybe one of the dumbest phrases that have ever been said. (laughs) Because think about it. If you steal some money from me and I forget about it, I don't need to forgive you. But if you steal money from me and I choose to forgive you. I haven't forgotten. I've eliminated the debt. I've canceled the debt, but I haven't forgotten and I shouldn't forget. Uh, uh, A lot of times we equate forgiveness with a feeling and we sit around and we wait for us to feel good about people who are doing evil to us. It doesn't come quickly. Sometimes it doesn't come at all. The feelings never change, but we can choose To forgive, which is something altogether different that we're gonna talk about in a moment. So that's what feeling is, uh, what forgiving is not. Now let's talk about the why of forgiving. Why should we forgive? The number one reason we should forgive is because uh, forgiving is what is best for us. Sometimes we miss that God is commanding us to forgive others because He loves us. This is not primarily about. Uh, the benefit of the person who's offended us, as his children, he loves us so much that he wants us to be set free from a, 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 an irregular connection to somebody who has done evil to us. Uh, several scriptures I have you look at. First Peter three nine, in First Peter three nine, it says, "Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might." inherit a blessing. Now it's a mystical thing. It's a mystery here. But God says when someone has offended us and we obey God and we actually choose to forgive them, that mysteriously somehow there is a blessing that is credited to us. That it is an opportunity for God to do something grand in our life. And I don't know how all that works, but there's a promise from God here That even if the other person doesn't respond to our forgiveness, even if they don't appreciate it, or even if they don't come down a path of reconciliation, that there's a blessing that comes our way when in the power of God we act like Jesus Christ and we forgive others. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it says this in verse 15. It says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. See, the Bible warns us here that when we choose not to forgive, there's something that remains inside of us. It's called, according to the scripture, a root of bitterness. And this root grows. And what happens is it produces toxic fruit. And one of the things it says here, and it says, and many will be defiled by this root of bitterness. We will be defiled by it. Uh, the people that we live with, that we do business with, the people that we're in community and church with. Everybody gets defiled when our life begins to produce this bitter fruit. And and the reason this toxic fruit is, is, is being produced is because we've kept this root of bitterness. You see, many times we choose not to forgive someone who's done a grave offense against us because we think they deserve it. And what we don't understand many times is they don't give a rip about whether or not we've forgiven them or not. We're not punishing them by holding that offense in our heart. We're the only one who suffers from it. And we really, in a sense, are released. We're freed from a, a kind of prison of unforgiveness when we go ahead and just make that choice to forgive them. In Ephesians, the uh, fourth chapter, it talks about dealing with our anger. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse uh, In verse 26, it says, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. See, the Bible gives us permission to be angry, and and it says the way that we're to handle our anger is we're to go to the person who's offended us, and we're to tell them what they have done to hurt us. We're to acknowledge it, but we're to speak the truth in love. We don't do it to put them down, to judge them, to shame them. We just do it because... God says we need to be honest about the fact that we have taken offense. But then it says that once we deal with it in that proper regard, we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. In other words, we deal with our anger. We get rid of our anger. We separate ourselves from the anger. Because it says that if we don't, what does it say? We give the devil an opportunity. You lay your head down on your pillow at night with anger in your heart against someone, even rightfully so and you've not dealt with it, you've not processed it, then what happens is the devil will use that to poison your mind. The the, the devil will use that to get you to sink to the same level as the other person. The devil will use that to distract you from the things that God is calling you and I to live. And so first of all, we forgive, first of all, because it's what's best for us. Second of all, we forgive because it is what is best for our witness, In Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 44, it says this, But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father, who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Don't miss verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. In a funny sort of way, when someone comes and they spread a rumor about you that's untrue, when they come and steal something from you or they harm you in some way, there is one of the ways that God redeems that is, is he provides an opportunity for you to respond differently to them, not to re- render evil for evil, but instead render good for evil. And, and what happens is your light shines bright in that darkness. It gives you an opportunity to show people the change that God has made in your life. And in doing so, an opportunity to witness. And someone meaning harm for you, it actually turns out to be good for many other people who perhaps would spend eternity in a different state because of the way you and I respond. It's just one of the ways, one of the many ways that God can redeem Uh, evil against us and then forgiving also removes a barrier between us and our God in Matthew the fifth chapter once again in verse 23 it says if you are there presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your offering there before the altar and go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering there's a sense in which God is the father of all people Because he's created all people. Now, he's not the father in a spiritual sense of all people. That's only his children who have been saved. But there is a sense in which he's the father of all mankind. And that father cares about all of his children. And he wants, as a human father, you want your children to get along. God wants us to get along with each other. And there is something between us and our God if we refuse to give to others the same thing that he's given to us in the story for Matthew the 18th chapter we see the king calling the servant back in and now there's a problem between the servant and his Lord because there was a problem between the two servants and the same thing is true for us we forgive because it's what's best for us we forgive because it is what is best for our witness we forgive because it removes a barrier between us and the Lord and then we forgive finally and most importantly because to forgive is to acknowledge his forgiveness for us every time that I forgive anyone for anything it's an acknowledgement to him that he has forgiven me you and I will never be asked to forgive anyone anything near to what he has already forgiven us and every time I say I forgive every time I say let's move forward let's let that be the history let that be the past what i'm really doing is i'm pointing to jesus and i'm acknowledging a gratefulness of my own heart for what's happened now what you need to understand is that matthew the 18th chapter is really what they call a problem passage a problem passage is any passage that you run across in the bible and it doesn't at first glance seem to line up with other scriptures and you have to look a little deeper in order to see how it does Matthew 18 is one of those passages. Because think about the story. The story is here's a king who has a servant who owes him $10 million and he forgives it. I mean, the debt's gone. So he's not going to go to prison because there is no debt. But that same servant goes out and finds another servant who owes him $18 and he refuses to forgive. The king hears about it. He calls that first servant back into his office he says, You're going to jail. Well, there's a problem here. How can he go to jail if his death's already been forgiven? What do you do with the scripture that comes right after that and is also found in several other places that says, If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you? Uh, friends, that's a problem passage because the Bible makes it clear that we're not saved by our works we're not saved by our good deeds we're saved by grace and grace is unmerited favor how does that uh, line up with if you don't forgive others god's not going to forgive you well think about the story You, you see the reason that the king was so shocked that this servant did not forgive the other servant is that he thought if he really was forgiven, how could he not forgive forgive someone else? And so he called him back in. And basically what the king was saying to him is, you know what, you're in trouble because apparently you didn't accept my forgiveness. You didn't accept my canceling of your $10 million debt because I, I, the reason I know you didn't accept it is because if you had accepted it, you would have been an unbelievably grateful servant and you would have forgiven your fellow servant and so since you didn't receive my gift you still owe me ten million dollars and you're going to jail that's a different way of saying you can tell when somebody has truly been saved you can tell when someone has really been forgiven because they're ready very quickly to forgive others at the very least what it means is that we do not understand the depth of forgiveness that God has given us if we're not ready to forgive others. And it might just mean, be careful here, it might just mean that you never really received God's forgiveness for your own sin in the first place. That you've grown up in church all your life and you know the Sunday school answers and you've been baptized, but you've never truly owned your own sin and realized the gravity of it and been. Ex- eternally grateful for the forgiveness that God has given you and you need to get saved and when you get saved you get gracious and you get generous with forgiveness even as you have received it now when it comes to forgiving I think one of the problems that we have is many times we find ourselves in a pit when somebody has done something to us we just get overwhelmed with the emotion of that and the deficit that's in our life. And and then we read in the scripture that we're supposed to get back up there on our journey from selfishness to otherness. and, And we think there's no way that I can take that leap called forgiveness. And we think about it in that term, even as it would be near impossible, if not completely impossible, for me to be flat footed here and to jump up on that step In one fell swoop and the truth is it's not just one action it's several actions and there are really three steps to forgiving someone now those are not easy steps but I can make it in three and so we go one two and three what are those three steps the first step for us to take is for us to assume the debt now what do I mean by that well the king was there and this man owed him ten million dollars and so he said okay Uh, You've taken $10 million, and I'm going to choose to forgive you. Now, the moment that he forgave, what did that king do? The king accepted the debt that he didn't owe. Now, here's the reality of it, though. The reality was this servant was unable to repay that debt, so the king was going to have to pay it anyway. When somebody does something wrong against you or wrong against me, guess what? We suffer anyway. Assuming the debt is just acknowledging that, that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen and things happen that are not fair and it's not right that the other person, we're not making little of the debt. What we're doing instead is we're accepting the debt. And the reality is most of the time you're going to pay the debt anyway, but you assume it. Now how do you do that? You do it because you recognize the fact that God has promised to meet all of your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. That's what allows you to assume the debt. What you stop doing is you stop, don't miss this, this may be worth the trip right here. You stop focusing in on that person and the power they seem to have over you and your happiness. Because what that is called is that's called fear. And instead you shift your attention To the fact that God has promised to meet all of your needs. And and what you do is you rob that person of their power over you and and, and your life. And you realize that what they do to you hurts. What they do to you offends you. What they do is not fun and it's not fair. But really when it comes down to it as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is not critical. There is a limit to what anybody else can do to hurt you or anybody else that you love. And to assume the dead is to say my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills i can handle this one all right so step one is to assume the debt step two is to choose to love now every relationship we have is unique isn't it and there's all kinds of relationships we have hundreds if not thousands of relationships with each relationship there comes a set of responsibilities to love that person based on what that relationship is you may be going into walmart and you're going through the line there, and the, the person who's working the cash register there is rude to you, and, and they, or they question your integrity or your intelligence or whatever they might do. And you have an opportunity there, and, and that relationship is different than the relationship you have with your spouse, but there is an opportunity to love there, and there's an opportunity, a responsibility to love there. The Bible says, do not return cursing for cursing, but rather give a blessing for cursing. And you can choose right there to not only forgive that person and take the insult that they have thrown at you and to realize, I don't even know this person. Why am I going to let this ruin my day? Maybe there's something going on in their life that I don't know about. But I'm going to assume the debt, first of all. Second of all, I'm going to choose to love them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to turn this whole conversation, if they'll let me, to a positive one. Where I don't render evil for evil, but instead I render good for evil. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, it says, do good to all men, Galatians 6.10. But especially those who are of the household of faith. Even more than the cashier at Walmart, I have a, a relationship with you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've got greater responsibilities and greater opportunities to love you even if you're not being loving toward me. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, it talks about the relationship that we have in the human family that children have responsibility to love their parents. Many times, as children, we see ourselves as takers, but God gives us the opportunity to bless our parents in ways that nobody else can bless them. And and parents, by the same regard, to love their children, and spouses to care for each other. The, the, The responsibilities and the opportunities I have to love Marcia are unique to that relationship. And when she does something that I need to forgive, and when I do things that she needs to forgive, we can assume that debt and realize that we're going to be okay. There's a limit to how much I can hurt Marcia, or Marcia can hurt me. And then I can choose to independently love her in a way that only I can love her and meet needs that only I can meet. The Bible says in Matthew, the fifth chapter here, that we have the same responsibilities to even love our enemies. And it gives us one of the ways we can do that. It says that we're to pray for our enemies. Your enemy, when forgiven, may not seek a path of reconciliation. You may not, to be a good steward of yourself, be able to live with, be reconciled with, to even get close to your enemy. And so you're limited in that relationship on how you can love. But you can love even an enemy. You can pray for an enemy. You know, it's interesting about praying for an enemy, by the way, is when you pray for an enemy, one of two things are going to happen. One is that your, your heart will change from that in, uh, about how you feel about that enemy. The other thing that will happen is another possibility is you're going to stop praying. One of those two things happen. You will either stop praying for your enemy or your heart will change uh, about how you feel about that enemy, even if you can't be in relationship uh, with them. And so the first step is to choose to assume the debt. The second is to choose to love. And then the third step, coming to forgiveness, is to choose to communicate. And we communicate three things. First of all, we communicate the offense. Once again, the Bible commands us to speak the truth in love. If, you're angry, if, you're, if you've been offended enough to be angry, then you ought to be angry enough to talk to the person. Not to punish them, not to shame them, not to accuse them, not to command them, but to let them know that when you did this, this had had this effect on me. You may or may not have been aware of how it would affect me, but you need to know that. But the second of all, to communicate your choice to forgive them, that you've made that choice. And then the third thing that we're to communicate is we're to communicate a path of reconciliation, which they may or may not ever take, But it's our job to communicate that to them. I want you to think as we close about what God has done in modeling this for us. Because we are forgiven people. First of all, God assumed our debt. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he took upon himself the sin of every single person in the world. And then he chose to love us. He chose to reach out to us to meet our greatest need. And that was the need to be forgiven. And then he communicated to us the path of reconciliation for those who would choose to take it. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Let's thank him for that. Father, we not only thank you for the path that allowed us to be forgiven, but we also thank you for an example that you have set for us in forgiving others. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ amen this is paul lewis our pastor of our hispanic work here at lake point paul came to work for us about two and a half years ago and we had an existing uh... hispanic work but you began to invest in some leaders there and we began to apply some new strategy and that group has really grown hasn't it
2: yes uh... we started at the chapel and we outgrew the chapel and then we went to a114 we outgrew there, and then we had to go to the gym. Kind of created a little stir with everybody, but everybody has been so grateful. Life groups moving and everything. This the church growing and reaching a lot of people. Yeah, now that service is every week at what time? Every Sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning at the gym.
0: Okay, and then about a year and a half ago, we started a second Spanish-speaking service in Mesquite at our town east campus. And tell us when that campus meets. Yeah, uh,
2: that's on Saturdays at six o'clock in the afternoon. And what's cool about that church is that most of the people that are going there have accepted Christ in the last year.
0: That's great. And then just about a month ago, we started a third uh,
2: Spanish service in Richardson at our Richland <laughs> yeah, campus. Yeah, kind of expanding a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and that's on Sundays at one thirty in the afternoon. They're at Richland. Okay, so uh in
0: Richardson at uh one thirty on Sunday, on Sunday morning at eleven o'clock at Rockwall, and then Saturday night at six o'clock, at six
2: o'clock in, Town in
0: Mesquite. So wh- whether you're in any any one of those areas, there's a Hispanic service that's available to you. And probably more important for most of you, you probably know someone who speaks Spanish. It's their primary language. And they're looking for a church and a culture where they can authentically express their faith. And so I
2: encourage you to spread the word that there's probably an Hispanic work uh, near them. And its lake point is with the same DNA, it's one church two languages. That's great. Hope that you'll invite some folks to attend.
0: Now you're going